0: Yo, this is Pastor Tito here. Welcome to another episode of my revolutionary podcast where I'm here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life, helping you to be able to know and understand how to revolve all those things around Jesus. And so one of the things that keeps us from following through a lot of times when it comes to believers is not just when we struggle to believe, because that's what we were focusing on this last month, but this month we're going to focus, what do we do? When we struggle to behave, when we struggle and when we see that, man, we are not doing what we would love to do, right? Act. And and so this series on messy spirituality, all right, we're going to focus and put the attention always on Christ. And today's message, we're going to focus on what do we do when we find ourselves messing up or all kinds of messed up. What do we do from here? Here's a perfect, faithful God, and we are not. So where do we go from here? And a lot of people struggle with that. That's why we're gonna do a series now called, for the focus, our focus for this month is gonna be messy spirituality. Messy spirituality. Last month, we talked about this struggle between all right, uh, help me with my unbelief. So if you didn't see it, you can go online, our website, tabernacleofgod.church, check up on that. We put a whole focus on how do we deal with doubt when it's hard to believe. But today, in this whole, we're gonna continue that theme a little differently because it's one thing to struggle to believe. It's another thing to struggle to behave, Right? When you're a Christian and, and you want to follow Christ and you see inconsistencies, you see an issue, you see, um, and, and you're, you're, maybe you're A, B, comparing yourself to somebody else. And then, and that could be really hard, right? I mean, that's the comparison trap nobody wants to be a part of. But when you're on it, Oh man, you know, this is this is what's called the struggle bus. Anybody ever been on the struggle bus and you feel like you just can't get off? It just keeps rolling and rolling. I know we all got our struggles, right? Let's just be real. We all have our struggles. We all have our question marks. We all have our this. And when it comes to our faith, that's actually something that shocks a lot of people. Once I believe in God... Doesn't that mean that everything is going to go good from here on out? Doesn't it mean that every time I pull up to a light, it's always going to be green and that my coffee's always going to be hot and it's never going to get cold and lukewarm? That my family, my kids are always going to say, yes, ma'am, right? And, 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 and yes, sir. And, and me and my wife are never going to fight, right? <laughs> right? I mean, some people, they have this perception that when they, what they want is heaven right now. They want what is gonna be heaven now. And there's this in-between thing that God is trying to do in the world and in us and in you. And so a lot of people struggle. I'm like, wait, why is it gotta be this way, man? Riding that struggle bus is hard, man. Especially it's hard to get off when you're on it. And the reason why it gets hard when, you're, when you see yourself struggling in your faith or struggling in your, your application, if you're really on that and can't get off, it's because our focus is misplaced. You're putting too much focus and attention on you. That's why it becomes, of course, when you look at yourself and you see so many things. I know I've heard this more than once from a lot of you. When we talk about things and and there's no excitement in your voice when it comes to Christ or following Jesus. And the main reason I've been hearing, the main excuse is, well, I just look at myself and all I see, I don't, I don't see anything but more failures in my life. All I see is my failures. All I see is me disappointing God. And I know I've heard it. Where some of you have said, some people I know have said, man, I just feel like God is just waiting for an opportunity that for me to disappoint him. Anybody ever battled with that one? Because you know you're not perfect. You know you're gonna mess up. And if God knows that, is God waiting? I'm like, ah, here he goes again. I knew he was gonna do it. Oh my gosh. That, she popped off on her boss again, right? Oh, like clockwork. Old faithful, right? And so, and so some of us, we struggle and we really have this warped perception of God, and that's a lie, by the way. That's the false fear of God. There's a good fear of God. We could talk about that another day. But the enemy wants to put a fear of God in you, meaning, uh-oh. Uh-oh, he knows. You know you're gonna mess up. So does he. He's just waiting for an opportunity to be disappointed in you. That's not, are you going to be excited to go pray to that God when you wake up in the morning? Are you? No. If you really believe that is how and who God is, you're not going to be excited to open this word up. Because you're just going to find more verses and applications saying, yep, can't do that one. And you're just going to be frustrated. You're just going to be all upset because your focus is misplaced and it's on you and there's a perception of God that needs to be changed. This is why I love that Emily in the band this morning was just singing about the faithfulness of God because that is actually the one thing that we that truth needs to really settle in. That one needs to really settle in. And Jesus actually tells a story. Jesus actually tells a story to help both people then and now to help us not miss out on what we should do when we find ourselves, when we do mess up. And guys, I want to tell you, newsflash, you're going to mess up, okay? Newsflash, you're going to mess up at some point. You're going to disappoint somebody else. You're going to disappoint you. You're not always going to make every decision correctly, all right? And if you, by the way, if the more you've walked with God lately, I'm just going to be real. I'm going to help some of y'all. The more you walk with God, again, newsflash, you are gonna realize that you were a bigger sinner than you ever thought, okay? Just so you know. When you start to walk with God more and all you see is, oh my gosh, like I, I've, I've, I've grown, but I'm so far away from perfect. You don't even acknowledge the fact that you've come so far because you look forward and see, I still have so much more to go. But praise God that you are not who you used to be. Do you see what the enemy wants you to do? If all you did was look back at the faithfulness of God and what he has done in your life, you would not stop praising God. You wouldn't hesitate to open up his word and go spend time with him. But when you look forward and you see, oh my gosh, I still got way more to go. You, it's, gonna, it's gonna be a struggle. And, and, and so our focus needs to be right, all right? Our focus needs to be right. And this story that Jesus gave was one to help people do that. It's a story that if you've been in church for a while, guarantee you've heard it. But I guarantee today you're gonna walk away with a different perspective than you've ever and a greater appreciation to this story. And if you've never had it, I got you. We're gonna go, we're, we're gonna do this together. This is gonna be found in Luke 15. So our anchor verse for today is in Luke 15. We're mainly gonna read verse 11 through 32. And I'm going to give you a quick synopsis, a quick catch up of the first 10 verses, because the first 10 verses actually set up the story today. Now the story that we're going to talk about for Christians, you know the story, it's called the story of the prodigal son. Now this story actually is considered by secular and religious uh, scholars as one of the best stories ever told. All right, anybody know Charles Dickens? I think the guy has a couple of classics under his belt, okay? Charles Dickens actually has a comment about this story. He says that this is one of the greatest short stories ever told and recorded in human history. That's Charles Dickens' opinion about what we're going to read today. And so the story starts, now before we get into the story of the son and the prodigal son, which by the way, a lot of, I agree with a lot of people, that's a really horrible title for this story. The prodigal son, this is not a story about the prodigal son, all right? We'll talk about that in a minute. But you got to catch the setup. Right before, I want you to go back and read verses uh, 1 through 10 later this week. But in verse 1, painting the picture, Jesus is there hanging out with what Luke, The you know, Luke was not there, Luke was not an apostle. He took stories and, and he interviewed the people that were there. And so he goes and he says, Luke, Jesus was with a bunch of, what the scriptures, what he calls sinners and tax collectors. So everybody hated tax collectors because those were Jewish people who worked for the Roman government. I mean, let's be real. All right. If your kid worked for the IRS, would you be super like, I'm so proud of my boy. He works for the IRS. Right. That's kind of one of those. Oh yeah. He has, a, he has a government job. All right. Maybe you would just kind of, cause the IRS has this weird, like ah, kind of a thing to it. I get it. Right. Taxation and stuff, whatever. So, um, but with that, The tax collectors back then were were worse. These guys were Jewish nationals, Jewish people that worked for the Roman oppressed government and they made their riches on the backs of their old people by hiking up the taxes. I mean, it was the uh, easiest scam in history. It was amazing. And you can get rich real quick off your own relatives, off of everybody. And so that's why everybody hated tax collectors. Everybody knew the game and they couldn't do anything to stop them, okay? Everybody hated tax collectors. They were considered scum of the earth. And then there were sinners. And sinners were considered literally the outcasts of society, people who had just really gone too far over the edge. Okay? They had lived that wild lifestyle. They did this. They did that. They did everything opposed to God. Well, we see Jesus hanging out with two groups of people that you're not supposed to be with. The scribes and the Pharisees, another group are there. And these guys were the religious leaders of the day. If there was anyone that if you were a parent and talking about, oh, my kid's a tax collector, right? If you were a parent, you would want your kids back then to be, oh, if my kid could be like these guys. These were the heroes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, right? The the, the scribes, because these guys knew the Old Testament better than anyone else. Many of them had it memorized. They had to. They knew it better than anyone else. They knew God's word better than anyone else. Oh, and they were the best rule followers. These guys were on another level. These guys were on another level. Everybody looked up to them. And so here are the Pharisees and they're criticizing Jesus, saying, uh-huh, look at this one. Look at Jesus. He welcomes tax collectors and sinners. This was a sarcastic statement. This was not, oh, wow, look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. This is amazing. No, he, they are criticizing Jesus with sarcasm because in essence, it's almost like Jesus, <laughs> let me, uh, Jesus, let me help you. First off, Jesus, you, you don't know that you're wasting your time with these people. They've done too much. They've gone too far. They are too lost. There's no hope. It's too late for them, Jesus. Leave them alone. There's other people to deal with. You're a rabbi, right? You should know this. So they're mocking Jesus while at the same time really discrediting him. Oh, this mighty Jesus, he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. What kind of a person is this that you want to follow? That's the criticism. And then Jesus's response is, oh, what'd you say? All right, I got a story. And he launches into a story a three-part story based off of that criticism. The criticism is what launched the story. You need to know that. Because now Jesus tells a story that on the one side is trying to reveal a cool truth, but on the same side, Jesus is clapping back and literally kind of criticizing the very people who's criticizing him with this story. And so you, you got to catch all of this together, all right? Because that guy's a genius. It's pretty cool. And so he goes in story number one and says, "Um, hold on, guys. If a shepherd had 100 sheep, loses one, and he has still 99. Well, if the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one, and he finds the one, he's excited. He found his lost sheep, but he puts it on his shoulders, and and he comes home, and he says, he invites all of his neighbors, all of his friends to celebrate and say, guys, I found my lost sheep. Come celebrate with me. Let's throw a party. Jesus says, that's the same reaction, guys, that heaven has when a sinner Repents and wants to come back to God. Or, verse 8, actually says, or, let me give you another one. A woman had 10 coins, and she loses one of the coins, and she lights a lamp and sweeps the whole house, looking meticulously for this one coin. All right, let's be real. I've lost my stuff sometimes trying to find my wallet inside my own house. My wife, you heard the okay? Anybody, you know what that's like. You've ever lost a wallet or you lost cash, right? You was like, oh, whoa, wait a minute, right? You lost cash. You lost something valuable, your phone. I mean, you're flipping the whole house upside down trying to look for that, right? And so he's like, well, this woman is looking for that coin. She finds it and she calls her neighbors, very similar, calls her neighbors over, come celebrate. I lost my coin, and now it's back, let's throw a party. Guys, the angels are going to celebrate the same way when a sinner comes back. First off, you gotta catch this. Jesus is giving two very exaggerated stories here. I know maybe you kind of read that and I'm like, all right, whatever. You gotta catch the, the hyperbole, right? I mean, literally the, the, the hyperbole, like the extreme side of this. Because first off, it is not practical for a shepherd. Back then, I know we, shepherds, you know, we don't do that. Back then, everybody knew what that was. Um, listen, if you're a shepherd, you are not gonna leave 99 to go find one. Because what happens if you go find the one and then now you lost the 99? You're fired, right? And by the way, shepherds were, you know, the, that was not a great status. If you lost and you lost that job, you're pretty much destitute, poor, you're done. It is not practical for a shepherd to leave 99 to go find one. It is not, a sheep is not that valuable. And then when you find the one, you're not gonna then make a big deal about it, celebrate, invite your whole family and friends over. Guys, help me find the one. Your boss, if he finds out that you left 99 to go find the one and you threw a party about it, fired. Okay, I would fire your butt. I mean, would you, what would you do if you lost something valuable at your job that was critical and you found it? Would you make a big deal on social media? You'd keep that to yourself, right? And I'm like, um, That was a close one, but Jesus is giving this crazy, crazy, exaggerated response to something that's just found. That's just a sheep. No one does that. Okay, we all know what it's like to lose something, and oh, I found it. That's great. It feels good, but Jesus, we wouldn't do that, and who would find just a simple coin? I mean, literally, if one of y'all lost maybe a hundred dollars, and a hundred, you know, it's a hundred a hundred. But if you found money just lying around, would you call your neighbors? Guys, come on, throw a party. I lost 20 bucks. I just found it. It was under my couch cushions. I'm so excited. Come on over. Let's celebrate. No one's going to do that. I was like, that doesn't make sense. Of course, you would be excited if you found money that you lost, but no one's going to react like that, Jesus. I mean, we get it. You know, again, he's trying to make this extreme example for something. And he's always coming back to saying, this is how heaven reacts. This is how God reacts when a sinner comes back home. But Jesus isn't done. Well, let me give you one more example. Now, as we move on, I want you to look at the progression. We went from one lost sheep out of 100. Now the value is increasing. One lost coin from 10. And now Jesus goes into a story, talks about one lost son out of two. So this whole story culminates. And let's look at verse 15. We're going to, I'm going to, verse 11 from uh, 15. I'm going to walk you through some things, give you a couple details. And this is, y'all, y'all never going to, you never see the story again the same way. So Jesus continues now and he's telling the story to these people. And in verse 11, he also says, because it's all part, it all goes together. He also says, we're going to put on the screen so everybody can read together. A man had how many sons? Two. Remember that. A man had two sons. The younger one of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate I have coming to me. This is an entitled boy. So he, so he the father, distributed the assets. Obviously, guys, when you are going to inherit something from someone, what must that someone do first? Die, Die right? Hopefully I wasn't super insensitive, if, uh, but let's be real. Uh, in order to inherit something, usually you got to wait for the guy to die. This kid is so entitled and has zero relationship with his father and could care less about his father that he's like, dad, I don't want to wait for you to die. Give me my money. I'm gone. I want to leave. Could you imagine as a parent, how much that would break your heart to hear a child say that to you? Some of you, are, no, I wouldn't. It wouldn't break my heart. I would break his face, right? Whatever. If he did that, I would break his face. But this is the, I mean, this son is making an audacious claim. We're going to keep on going. And the father does what? The father gives, all right, that's what you want. Go ahead. Here it is. Not many, how many? Days. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had, and he traveled to another distant country. Where? What did he do? He squandered his estate in? foolish living. After he had spent everything, of course, a severe famine strikes that country, and now he has nothing. Guys, the father had spent decades building up his wealth, building up his estate, and his son blows it in a Vegas weekend. Literally, that's what happened. And here he is in another country, broke, can't get back, and now there's a famine, oh, even worse, right? It just piles up. It, this just shows you time out. Guys, listen, it's very important to be wise and not crazy with your money. You never know what's gonna happen. Oh, yeah, the economy's always gonna be great. Oh, yeah, I'm always gonna have money. Everything in my house is always gonna work. <laughs> my car is never gonna have an issue, okay? Guys, just warning. Okay, move on. So here he is, he has nothing. And then it gets worse for him. And then he went to work. For one of the citizens of that country who sent him to work in the fields to feed pigs. Now, pause there. This guy has hit the ultimate low. You got to remember the audience. Jesus is talking to only Jewish people. And for Jews dealing with pigs, that uh, unsacred, unclean animals, you don't do that. You don't eat a pig. You don't look at a pig. You don't talk to a pig. You don't do nothing. All right. For the fact that this Jewish boy in this story is now working for a pig farmer, means that this boy has literally hit rock bottom, full of shame, empty, and alone. So Jesus is painting, again, another extreme picture of just this destitute condition. So he's feeding the pigs. Verse 16, he longed, longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. So now he's surrounded by people who could care less about him. But also one other thing, he can't do anything about it. The pods that he was eating, I was always wondering. I was like, wait, why wouldn't he eat it? He's just right there. Couldn't he just, just, just rah, go right out, you know, go and do it? But the, the pods that pigs would eat, guys, is actually something that pigs can digest and humans can't. So could you imagine being so hungry? And there's food, but if you eat it, you're going to die because you can't digest that stuff. And there's food right in front of you, and you can't do anything about it. So this guy, again, really, really messed up scenario. Verse 17. Now, I I want you to catch this. Put it on the screen because this this is, look at this phrase right here. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, the light bulb went off. He started to realize, what was I thinking? He said to himself, how many of my father's hired workers Have more than enough food. But here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the hired workers. Stop. Let me A detail, guys, that if I didn't think it was important, I would ignore it. But you got to catch where this guy's coming from and what Jesus is communicating. Every single word is loaded in this statement. Okay, number one, the fact that he says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Guys, when you come to repentance, you need to understand that when you sin against somebody, it's a sin against God. When you do something and hurt someone else, it's like you did it to him. Jesus said it. If you do good to others, it's like you did it to me. Vice versa, you go off on your boss. It's like you just yelled at Jesus in his face. I know some of y'all got to see him tomorrow. I know, but whatever. And so the thing is, like, that's what you do, all right? That, that's what happens. And so that's a good thing. The, the, this boy is kind of like, all right, he's growing up. He's kind of becoming wise. He's trying to figure things out. What was I doing? What was I thinking? He obviously feels like I am not worthy to be called his son, right? What does he want to be? A hired worker. Check this out. So. Back then, if you had, you know, a a lot of people, you know, uh, a lot of people, just like today, like employment, you got to think of, uh, you know, slavery back then was a little different than they messed up. And today we got different examples of it and still messed up, but... Back then, it was like employment, all right? There was certain level of slavery. It was called bond servant. That was the one you wanted to be if you liked. A bond servant was actually somebody that served the family and loved the family, and the family loved them so much that the bond servant, well, the person would say, I wanna dedicate myself to you willingly for the rest of my life. That's, and you can only be a bond servant like that. The slave or the servant had to say, I commit to this family for the rest of my life and willingly that's what would happen and you would be embraced and here's the thing if you were a bond servant you were family if you were a bond servant they brought you in as family you had the same rights privileges and responsibility as the you know the kids with the DNA and you didn't All right, so that's I want you to catch that a bond servant was family it had rights and and control i mean the bond servants would really run the estate like if they were family. This is almost like adoption, let's just be real. It's like, you know, could you imagine like adopting an adult? You know, that's kind of like what's going on here. And so you adopted them, they're a part of the family now. That's bond servants. And then you had regular servants. The bond servants would go out and hire servants to continue to, you know, if needed, to do what needed to be done. Now, servants had a loosely, they were loosely affiliated with the family, loosely. The bond servants were family. The servants, they kind of were family, you know. They kind of were family. Maybe it's kind of like those those friends that you have, right? They're they're not legally binding, but they fam, right? And so that's a little different. The hired workers, though, that was the bottom. Hired workers are our equivalent to day laborers. Meaning, look, hey, I need you to do something really quick, right? Do this, do that. We need some extra hands on site. We're just going to pay you, do what you need to do, and be done. That's a hired worker. Hired workers had zero relationship with the family. What did this boy say to himself? How did he view himself? I am not worthy to be called. Son, so that's why he says, I want to be a hired worker. I, I, he really, to me, even looking at this, this boy knows my dad doesn't deserve to take me back, and I wouldn't take me back if I was him. But hopefully, my last attempt here is look, I'm not asking to be brought back and be made part of the member of the family. I know I wrecked it, but if I could just be a day laborer, because the day laborers have a better life than even I do here, I would rather be a day laborer and hired worker at my father's estate. Than anywhere else. Turns out my dad wasn't as much of a dirtbag as I thought he was. He was actually a good guy. Uh, if your parents are still alive, I hope you, you know, hopefully you have a little bit of a realization that, you know, don't take your parents for granted. That's just an extra one, okay? So here he goes. He has this big prepared speech. Y'all caught it, right? I was like, all right. <clears throat> Father, <laughs> like I have, he's prepared a speech. He's ready to go. I know I'm not the only one who know when he's messed up, and I got to go talk to mom and dad. You, you, you've, you've practiced that. Anybody ever practice of what you're gonna say when you're gonna talk to mom and dad? Like, Listen, see what happened, right? And you, you come up with it. This guy is a practiced. You know, he has to practice his speech because some people think it was like he's about to try to manipulate the father. He doesn't know how the father's gonna react. So what if he has this grandiose response, and maybe the father was like, all right, fine a hired worker it is. I'm good with that. Let's keep going. So now let's, let's check it out. Now you got to get a little context. Y'all got to get this. This, this story is crazy. So I am no longer, yada, yada, making make me one of your hired workers. Verse 20. Everybody got it on screen? Here we go. Verse 20. So he got up, went to the father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. Now that kiss is really showering with good kisses, right? Just, uh, that's, that's what we see here. And so here's an amazing picture now of the father. Where was the father this whole time? Um, not home, interesting enough. The father would leave the house from time to time to go look for that son. Because the son was far away. And where is the father? Not sitting on the porch with his arms crossed, looking for that son. And he does something, again, very exaggerated. Jesus continues the theme of exaggerated responses, right? And so, by the way, I want you to know, in Jewish culture, uh, it was not dignified for a man to run. Not like this. It was not a dignified thing. And it was not dignified to show this kind of emotional response especially to someone of this caliber of what he had done. That father should have not showered him with kisses, but should have done all, you know, gave him the butt whooping of his life, right? That's what he deserved. But here he is showering him with kisses. This exaggerated response that everybody's like, really? That's okay. Okay, Jesus, I I get it. And so verse, we're going to keep going. Verse, where am I? Verse 21. So here he is. He's like, oh, he's kind of thrown off by all these kisses. And the the son was like, oh, I got a speech to go. The son says to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father doesn't let him continue his speech. When he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What? Hold on. Verse 21. But the father tells his servants, God, quick bring out the best robe, put it on him, put on, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and then bring that fatted calf that we have for that party later. Let's bring it out, slaughter it, let's celebrate with the feast, because my son, this, this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. What was the father's response to the son's statement? I am not worthy to be called your son. Really? Hold on a second. Bring out three things. Robe, Ring, sandals. The robe that was brought out was the robe that was given to the guest of honor, or it could have been the father's fancy robe. He said, you're not my son. Hold on. Put on my jacket. They put on the father's jacket on this boy the father's robe. And then they put on a ring. Back then, if you've seen, I don't know if you've seen some of these medieval shows and movies, right? You ever seen somebody with a ring and they press it into this like wax, right? That's a signature to seal it. Back then, a ring that had the symbol of the family on it. And if you had that ring, you can make financial decisions. You can do because the ring had authority because it had the name of the father. It had the name of the family on it. So they put the ring on of the family on this boy. And last At least if it wasn't you know if that wasn't beautiful enough this boy must have been bawling crying if it wasn't everybody else must have been I know I would have then he says, I'll bring out the sandals too put sandals on his feet do you know who walked barefoot back then slaves you know who didn't walk barefoot back then family members so when he put some sandals on his feet a robe over him and a ring on his finger he said you're still my son boy you're still my son You're still my son. I am not worthy to be called your son. Oh yeah? Let me prove it to you. That's what the father did. He didn't just grab random stuff. Every single one of those things was saying, I still love you. You're still my son. I still love you. I'm still your father. I still love you. You're still my son. You're still a part of this family. That's amazing, right? You could just stop right there and be great. But Jesus wasn't done. Um, Verse 28. Verse not 28. Verse 25. Guys, remember, how many sons did this father have? Two. The, so now his older son, oh, here's the other one. He was in the field and he came near to the house and heard music and dancing. He was like, oh, okay, well, what's this? What's going on right here? Music and dancing, all right. So he summoned one of the servants now and he says, hey, what's going on? He questioned all these things and he says, oh, you're your brother, your brother is here. And he told him, your father has slaughtered that fattened calf and because he, ha- he has him back safe and sound. Really? Really? Who? He's here. Verse 28. He became what? Angry. He became angry and didn't want to go in. He didn't want to go in the party. So his father, what did the father do? Came out to him. The father came out to him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you. Slaving many years for you. And I have never disobeyed your orders. Not once. Never disobeyed. Yet, you never even gave me a goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But when this uh, son of yours... Notice how he doesn't even wanna to get to the place where he says, I can't even call him my brother, but Bro, he's dead to me. That guy, hate him, he's done, cut him off. So notice his response to this father, this uh, son of yours who devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered a fattened calf for him. All right, I see you, I see you. Son, the father says to him, you were always with me and everything I have, it's yours now, isn't it? But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Story ends right there. Jesus drops the mic and goes back to his business. Now, this was a very, very controversial story to hear at that point. Because, see, in the story, the lost boy, right, the the son that was the prodigal son, the prodigal means, by the way, if you never know what the prodigal means, prodigal is just somebody who just is wildly spending his money like crazy, living that crazy lifestyle. The prodigal son were all of those sinners that Jesus was hanging out with. People who have made horrible decisions in life, people who have not only messed up their life, but are messed up, and they truly are sorry for the decisions that they've made. They are truly sorry for what they have been come but they they're they're depressed because they have no hope they've been told they have no hope they've been told it's too late for them and if there was anything that they could do to make things right they would they know they're not worthy of being accepted back to God and they've been told that and so Jesus in this story is telling them remember story of lost things lost sheep lost coin lost son and and do we see the father what's his response he's excited that his boy came back The fact that the father never noticed, what did the father not say when the boy came up? He didn't say, All right, so what lessons did we learn, boy? What lessons did we learn? He didn't bring up the past. The father didn't bring up the past. And that means all is forgiven. Don't, it's in the past, it's buried, don't worry, it's all back there, let's move on from here, all is forgiven, so the people that Jesus was hearing, they're like, well, you know, the sinners, they're like, this is us, oh my gosh, God does, God still loves us, he's still, he's excited that the fact that we want to come back and he's willing to accept us, all of them were crying, I guarantee it, excited, but that other boy was that other group, Oh, these, what are you doing? I'm being disrespectful to the fathers. You you can't do this for them. They don't deserve this kind of treatment. They've messed up too much. The older son was representative of those religious people who were noticed, the son of yours. They didn't even see their own countrymen as fellow countrymen. They said, no, they're beneath me. And Jesus' statement to them is saying, they're still your brothers and sisters. They're still family. And so Jesus is criticizing them in, in front of everybody. It's super scandalous, it's pretty cool. And so what do we take from all of this? Because you have two boys and two ways of thinking and living, guys, that we have to be cautious about. Because these two ways of thinking and living could cause us to mess up continually, stay messed up, and wallow in our mess. You have the prodigal son and you have the prideful son, both. You have the prodigal son and the prideful son. Two ways of thinking, two ways of living that will lead you to continually ride that struggle bus. And you won't be able to get off of it. The prodigal son was the one who was the self-indulgent lifestyle. He wants to, you know, he gets everything. What does the culture have to say? What's cool today? That's what I want to do, right? He's always spending the money thinking what, you know, the way that I enjoy life is to go live my life. A prodigal son is someone who looks at the world and says, God, bro, you look boring. This looks where the party's at. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to hang out here. That's what the prodigal son does. He says, I want to be accepted by the culture. I want to enjoy what this world has to offer. I could care less about God. Uh, and a prodigal son, an indulgent person, is somebody who literally just lives by the pleasures of the flesh. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. If it's good for me, I could care less about anybody else. That's what I'm going to do. Here's the thing. We've all, I know we've all been there. I've done that too. Guys, when you try to satisfy the pleasures of the flesh in that way, eventually the price is so high, you're going to be let down because you realize, "Uh uh-oh, it wasn't enough. And it leads some people to say, well, maybe the next one's going to do it. Maybe the next one's going to do it. Or maybe it's this. Maybe I need to try something stronger. Maybe I need to do something bigger. Maybe, and you keep going. And if you don't keep going, you're full of shame. And you struggle with guilt because you're like, what have I done? What have I become? When you, run that, when you run that way and you experience all of that, this is why, listen, I know, I got, I got people. I know people and I've been this person too. Where I've been that kid, been that guy, been that man, been that whatever. And then I turn back and look at Jesus and I'm like, I'm not worthy to be called a Christian. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. And so you keep riding that struggle bus. You ride that struggle bus of shame because all you see is what you've done and what you've become and God is too good and you know he's good. And so you punish yourself. You punish yourself. I've done it, I know you guys do it. They think they're not worthy. So that's the prodigal son. And then you got the prideful son. The prideful son, guys, is not a self-indulgent lifestyle. The the prideful son is a self-righteous lifestyle. This person prides themselves on being better than everybody else prides themselves on doing and being and behaving better than anyone else. And this person is entitled. You thought that other person was entitled. Did you catch this guy, how entitled he was? He was like, I have slaved over you for years. What's his opinion of the father? Not as a good father, but as a slave taskmaster, right? I've slaved for you for years. And not once did you even give me a goat to hang out with my friends. Notice that he didn't say, dad, let's be real. You know I've you know I've worked hard. And you've never thrown a party to celebrate me. You have never celebrated me. You've never acknowledged me. You never thanked me. Did he say that? No. He could care less about his father. He just wants to go hang out with his boys. You see that? He could care less about the father. I wanna just be with my boys. I wanna be with my friends. And you never did this. And you ne- and I've never, oh, I love that one. I have never disobeyed you, not even once. Random fact, the father was trying to get him to come inside to go hang out and celebrate. And what is he saying? No. Look at that. Look how pride blinds us, guys. Look how pride blinds us. That you would say, I've never done anything wrong while at that. I've never disobeyed one of your orders outside of the fact that I'm doing it right now, but that doesn't count literally that's what pride does the self-indulgent lifestyle guys i'm sorry the the self-righteous lifestyle is someone who reaches for even the things of god but refuses to reach for god it says you know how many times i've heard christians uh i've been in this place too sometimes caught myself god i i never miss a service i never do this i never do that i'm always praying i always do this and how come you answer his prayers and not mine I have done too much and sacrificed too much. I deserve for you to answer my prayers. There's that side too. But then in reality, what kind of, do you have a relationship with the Father if that's how you're gonna be? No, you don't. Listen, there's those two ways of thinking, self-righteous, self-indulgent, it's never enough. Guys, you're just gonna continue to struggle because your focus is on you. But there is one way that can address, only one way that can address our mess, and that's the Father's love. Do you guys know that what restored that first son? The, the, what restored the first son, the younger son, was not the fact that he was sorry. What restored the first son was the father's love. The father's love for years is when when he came to his senses, he realized, wait a minute, my dad was actually, he was a very loving, good dad. What was he doing? The father's love over the years actually helped him to come to realize. And then it was confirmed once again when he interacted with him, guys. And the father's love and all of the stories that Jesus was teaching was to help both the sinners and the others to realize this amazing reality. Guys, lost things don't lose their value. Please listen to this. Lost things don't lose your value. If you lose $20 and that's lost, is that just a random sheet of paper? It's still 20 bucks, right? Just because it's lost, did it lose its value? Just because the sheep was lost and the coin was lost and the sun was lost, did it lose its value? No, lost things don't lose their value. Neither do people. And that's what Jesus was trying to communicate lost people, just because they're lost doesn't mean that they have lost their value. It doesn't mean that God does not love them just because they're lost. God loves them despite the fact that they are lost. He loves them despite the fact and God's love is what the only thing, talking about we were saying today, Lord, do it again, do what you were famous for. The only thing that what God is famous for is bringing dead things to life. And what did the father say about the younger son? He didn't just say he was lost and found, he said he was dead, but now he's alive. But he didn't die, he didn't resurrect, what does he mean? Something in him died. And now he is talking about being born again. Jesus talked about this, guys, that the only way to be saved is not just to be sorry, it's to be born again. And only God can do that when we come to him and recognize our faults, recognize God, I am unworthy even for you to forgive me of my sins. I acknowledge that. But we still should receive the goodness and the grace of God because he loves you despite what you've done to become. And only his love is the only thing that can restore you. And so guys, here, here's the message for messed up people. Guys, we've all messed up and we've all been messed up, right? Some of us, let's be real, we're still a hot mess, but it's all right, okay? The message for messed up people that God wants, Jesus was trying to tell both them and now is this. God does not, and I need y'all to remember this because you're all gonna mess up at some point. We're not perfect. Please remember this. God does not fall out of love with you when you fail. God does not fall out of love with you when you fail. I've got to say that one again. It still hasn't hit. Not because you're not saying anything. It's because I need this one to hit. God does not fall out of love with you when or every time you fail do you know why because he's faithful he does not fall out of love with you when you fail he is faithful he is faithful and he has done everything possible so that we can be brought back, received, made new, regardless if you've never believed in Christ and you want to know, is it, is it too late for me? Regardless if you are a Christian and you know you have lived a month or year or two, whatever, that is completely a smack in the face to your crucified Christ, Savior. Even you, if he could welcome the Son, he can welcome anyone. He can welcome anyone. And I want you to know Jesus claimed, he said, I came to seek and save the lost. And he did it by dying on the cross. God was broken. Jesus was broken so that you and I could be brought back. He was beaten so that you and I could have the chance to believe. He died so that we could live. And he rose from the dead so that through faith in Christ, he can raise us up out of our addictions, out of our failures, and out of our hopeless state. That is who we have. That is the God that has not fallen out of love with you just because you have failed. He, does, he is faithful. And so the next time you mess up, the next time you know, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. The thing I wanted to do, I didn't do. The thing I didn't do, I did. I wanted. We're going to go to that verse another day. Every time, the next time you mess up, I want you to know this. When you mess up, look up. When you mess up, and especially I'm talking to Christians now, because we don't, we don't deserve, we don't need to ride that struggle bus. We ride the victory train. That's the one that we ride. And so when you mess up, own up to it. Own up to it. Alright, it's on me, God. Forgive me of my sins. When you mess up, own up and Look up at the cross and remember that you have a mighty savior for your many sins. You have a mighty savior for your many sins. We have a Messiah that knows how to deal with our mess. That is what we have. We have a Messiah that knows how to deal with our mess. And the more that we look up to the cross and his love, his love is what's gonna help us to model and mature and to move us forward. That is all that we do. And that love should cause you to lean into that love and believe for the first time if you never have. Because when you do, you're going to say and realize what John was talking about in 1 John 3, 1, when he says, can you see, see what great love with an exclamation point, see what great love the Father has given us that we are called children of God. And that's what we are. Like, this is not a statement. He has made it for all who call on the name of Jesus. He makes us family. He puts sandals on our feet and a ring of authority on us and robes us in Christ. This is our Father. His, look what great love that, you know what lavish is? It means poured out. It's when you get the slab of pancakes and you're like, yeah, syrup, right? All over. That's like, like the Father just showering kisses. It's like, look at this. This is our God who makes us family when we respond. Guys, listen, if you have believed in Jesus, you are. If you believe in Jesus, you are a son and daughter of God. And he loves you. He doesn't fall out of love with you when you fail. Because when he, when he forgave you of your sins, he forgave past, present, and all your future ones. He covered it all. So that should every time you sin, it should be, God, thank you, because I didn't know I was going to do this, and you did and You still forgave me. Process that for a while. God forgave you of sins you don't even know you're going to commit yet. And He says, yeah, I know them all, and I'm still going to forgive them all. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're not a son and daughter of God. You're an enemy of God. And The scripture says even God loves his enemies. God loves his enemies, and he laid his life down for his enemies. He loves you too. He has not fallen out of love, he has not fallen out of love with you when you fail. So we all need to respond every single day. If you're a Christian, you responded once. Good. You know you're called to respond every single day. Every single day, we not for salvation, no, but for maturity that we keep on growing in Christ. But we must decide, Jesus left the story open-ended. He didn't finish the story. We don't know how the older son decided. He left it open like you decide. You and I, we are all, every day he gives us a choice enjoy the father come home or go live that lifestyle and you know what if we want to be self indulgent self pride he's gonna let us run he's gonna let us do it if that's what he's gonna do but his arms are always open wide we're willing and ready so we that shouldn't lead us to say okay good i'm gonna go have fun and come back no I'm like saying there is nothing better than my father nothing better than what god has i've been there tried it done it forget it i want god and nothing else his great love is better than anything else guys and so listen no matter how much you've messed up, no matter when you mess up and no matter how messed up you are, don't miss this. Don't miss this. In Christ, in Christ, you are no longer lost. In Christ, you are eternally loved. In Christ, you are eternally loved. That is who you are when you believe in who he is. His love makes the difference. I wanna pray for you guys and we're gonna do something before we wrap up here. I want you to just say, take a minute and reflect on what God is telling you. God, I want to thank you so much for that amazing, and what your, your word says. Look at what great love you have for us, that we are called children of God. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, that for every believer in this place and online who has been struggling and wondering, God, I've done too much this time. I've done too much. And, I, and they refuse, Lord, to surrender or they refuse to accept your love. They punish themselves. God, may they see the cross. And Lord, I want to thank you that you took all of the punishment for our sins on the cross so that we don't even have to punish ourselves when we sin. God that your grace and mercy is that good Lord I pray that you may shower right now every single son and daughter that feels unworthy shower them with kisses right now shower them with a lava flow of your love melt away Lord the shame and regret when they look down at their imperfections Lord may they look up and allow your perfect love to cover their imperfections Lord thank you that you robe us in righteousness that you don't see us for who we are you see us for who we will be in christ god thank you so much god for your great and mighty mercy and thank you lord that your arms are always open wide and if you are here or online if you have never given your life to jesus or maybe hey, listen maybe you you called yourself you thought you were a christian but you've been playing that self-righteous game you've ne- then you have not given your life to jesus run to the father right now because he's saying all will be forgiven All will be forgiven because there is nothing better and greater. You have a mighty Savior for your many sins. So embrace him and all of this church. Embrace and thank and praise his name and respond to his love today with love. Respond to his love with gratitude. Respond to his love with faith because you have a God that is better than you ever could have imagined. So when you find yourself messing up or when you still see... Listen, when you still see things in your life that was like, yo, I still need areas to grow in. There's still things. Guess what? You're normal. OK, we all do. There is constantly something for us to learn and grow. We're not going to know it all and we're not going to and we're not going to be perfect or be perfected on this side of Jesus's return. So every time you see how messed up you really are, every time you see right, that, you know, you messing up. I want you to own up to it. Don't ignore it. No, own up to it. Recognize it. But you don't have to hold on to it. Look up. Look up at the cross. When you mess up, own up and look up to the cross. And again, see and remember that you have a mighty Savior for your many sins. You have a Messiah that knows how to address the mess. Okay? He loves you. And the more when we put him at the center, when we revolve Christ at the center of even our imperfections, you will see God's perfect love, perfect love cover those imperfections. And Christ is there and the spirit of living God is there to be strong when we're weak and to help us in our time of need and to help us to grow. When we experience those kinds of things, we're going to be able to have those moments when we revolve our lives, our minds, our thoughts, our struggles, when we revolve even our struggles on Christ. Okay. He will sustain us and do so much more than that.